This is John Rickgarn, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. with my guest today, John Rickgarn. And John is an investor, educator, and realtor. So John, welcome to the First Deal Show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to get to know you during this interview and about your investing journey. So um, let's get right into it, starting off with the Kiss Me segment. (laughs) So the first question is, what was the first album that you purchased? Um, I honestly don't remember which one I purchased, but I do remember um, I was in sixth grade, got a CD player and two CDs for my aunt, uh, the Rippingtons, Welcome to the St. James Club, and Brian Eno's Wrong Way Up, which one I opened first, I don't remember, but I got both of those as a gift. Uh, And of course, now CDs are practically outdated. Everyone streams or downloads now. Yes, that's true. And you know what's crazy is that I actually spoke to someone two days ago who talked to me about how he didn't buy a CD. It was actually a cassette. Yep. <laughs> I, I I bought some of those too. I made recordings off the radio songs and yeah, <laughs> being almost 39, I can remember those old days. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so cool. I listened to cassettes, but I never got to like mess around and record on them. Yeah. Okay. So... Question numero dos, what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? Uh, Probably the biggest challenge was just the funding to get my first real estate going. Um, You know, I just figured you need to have, you know, the money and savings or it needed to be in a liquid form and then obviously a bank loan. Uh, Mine uh, started off a very interesting uh, journey is I actually pulled money out of my Roth IRA as the down payment for my first investment property. Um, I didn't know you could pull money out of a Roth IRA. And I still talk to a lot of people that don't know you can do that. And I, that's how I started my journey five years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for letting the 402 know about that. <laughs> so 402, let us know, have you taken out money from your Roth IRA to invest um, in real estate or in other things that you're interested in? And now the third question is, what is something new you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not have known about you? Oh, boy. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, I'm a big travel bug, so I obviously didn't travel much during the pandemic. Um, learning, I kind of started dabbling more into offshore investing, uh, residency options, passport versus visa. Kind of went down that rabbit hole. Wait, what um, is that? What's that? What is offshore? Uh, So like if you have if you're like a resident of the U.S., then you could also get residency or a second passport, say, in uh, Belize or Panama or Nicaragua or another country. Um, And then offshore would basically be a property, uh, real estate or even like a bank account that is essentially offshore or in another country than what you live in. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. And as far as something I did, uh, as far as a COVID project, I 
I should know the exact number, but I took out all the photo albums. I hand scanned all those in the digital format. Uh, my albums, my wife's albums. I know it was over 6,000 photos. I don't know what the end result ended up being, but uh, that was my COVID 2020 project. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Oh my goodness. You know, my parents' basement flooded and I know that they lost a bunch of pictures and documents. So yeah. way to pre plan. Yeah, it was, uh, it was time consuming. I got to the point I knew it was between 48 seconds and a mid and 32 seconds to scan in each photo, depending on the size and if it was landscape or portrait. <laughs> Did you have like one of those mini scanners that you shoot? Uh, no, it's a flatbed scanner. It was a uh, Epson. Um, I had gotten my previous career, I was in uh, office equipment, so I got familiar with a lot of brands and Epson seemed to have the best quality for picture scanning. So I purchased one and just did that on my own. Wow. That's an awesome project. <laughs> um, cool. So now follow up question to that. Do you have those photos stored in the cloud or in a hard drive? Uh, actually two backups and on my local laptop. So I kind of got a triple backup system. So. Wow. That's great. And the final question, what is your favorite quote? Oh, boy. Favorite quote. Uh, trying to remember who said it, but it was uh, those who those who are different change the world. Those who are the same keep it that way. Um, kind of like a trailblazer quote of if you want things to change, you got to be different. <laughs> wow. Love it. That's awesome. I mean, that's can't remember who said it, but that was one quote that always sticks in my mind. Yeah, cool. Um, so, John, tell us where are you based and where do you invest? Uh, so, I'm based in Marshall, Minnesota. Uh, geography speaking, it's about 60 miles from the South Dakota border, 60 miles from the Iowa border. So, tucked right into the southwest corner. Uh, my investments in real estate um, start in Minnesota, but also have property in uh, Arizona, Iowa, um, Tennessee, Alabama, and Panama, and soon to be Paraguay. So. <laughs> Panama, like the country? Yeah, Panama, the country. It's uh, actually a parcel of a coffee farm I invested in almost two years ago. <laughs> wow. And how's that going? Have you ever visited? Uh, no, it's uh, well, it was on our docket before COVID obviously happened. And um, I don't know, I might look at it next year, maybe for a 15 year anniversary. But no, it was an investment I had followed for quite a while. Um, I actually talked to Darren a few times on the phone and talked to a few investors that were in it. So I decided to um, go with a cheaper option where it's undeveloped land. So you save quite a bit, but it's a few more years before you see a return. Otherwise, you could spend more money where it's already developed. They already have the saplings in or planted and you get a return sooner. But it's I think it was like five or six thousand dollars more per parcel. So. Wow. OK, so basically you're telling me you're going to be sending out people uh, some coffee beans whenever. Yeah, maybe. Or <laughs> yeah, they got another uh, cacao or chocolate plantation as well. I'm debating about going into that one too. But yeah, I decided to go with the coffee. Uh, not a lot of people know uh, coffee is the second most uh, traded commodity worldwide after oil. So I figured, you know, if you're going to get something that's pretty recession proof, uh, and I'm not an oil guy, I don't know a lot about oil. I figure you can't go wrong with coffee. So <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. I swear, every time I talk to you, I learn <laughs> something new. It's like every other sentence. Like what? 
wealth of knowledge, this man. Okay. So that's great. So you're um, investing. You've got investments all over the world. Yep. <laughs> but you started off in Minnesota. Yes. Okay. So tell us now, right? Drum roll, please, because <laughs> John has just got, he's dropping, dropping all the bombs of information. Um, where, what was your first uh, deal ever? Sure. Uh, first deal ever, um, actually did things in reverse. I started with a fourplex uh, right here in Marshall, Minnesota. This was August of 2016. We closed on that. So a little over five years ago that uh, started my investing journey. And like I said, I started with a fourplex, worked my way down to single family. A lot of people start with single family, work their way up to fourplex. <laughs> right. But hey, that this is to educate the 402 that there's no right or wrong way. No. <laughs> you can go about it any different way, right? right? So why did you decide to purchase this fourplex? So it wasn't, um, I wasn't like gearing for a fourplex, you know, per se. Um, I was working with a realtor at the time. I had spent the last almost two years, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, and I kind of had my criteria of, okay, I want a, you know, newer property, like 1990s or newer construction, uh, you know, vinyl or steel siding, newer roof, you know, a lot of the CapEx uh, expenditures already taken care of. I wanted to at least hit the 1% rent to value ratio. So if it's, you know, $100,000 property should get $1,000 a month in rent. Um, at the time, wanted to stay close by. I hadn't really gotten a turnkey. So I was generally looking in uh, Southwest Minnesota and also would be a property that a property management company could manage. So that was kind of my criteria. And my wife even joked, it's like, well, you're never going to find that around here <laughs> unless you're in the cities or something. And lo and behold, we got an email, talked to our realtor, like, yeah, we got one that hits all your criteria. And I'm like, I, I feel like there's a butt coming. <laughs> and she said, yeah, uh, but it's a fourplex, not a single family or duplex. And like, okay, well, let's check it out. And sure enough, we ended up getting it. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Um, so then, you know, you talked about that you were educating yourself, but what was the motivating or the aha that got you into investing? Um, I'd say the aha it was actually uh, two years prior. It was 2014. Um, actually, I remember it was November of 2014 that uh, my wife had uh, just decided to leave uh, her job, kind of toxic environment. She wasn't really happy there. And she wanted to go back to school to get her doctorate and become a college professor. That was her you know, a dream job or what she had always wanted to do. So, you know, I fully supported her. Um, at the time I was full-time in sales. So I was thinking, okay, we're going to be down to one income and, you know, your mind starts turning like, well, I can sell some more equipment or maybe a side hustle or something like that. And just kind of had a awakening that I realized, okay, I'm 31 years old. If I was to essentially relive my entire life, um, that 31 year chunk, then I would be 62 and I still wouldn't be at the arbitrary retirement age that everyone says, you know, 65. And during that 31 years working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, kind of started doing the hours in my head and kind of started getting depressed about it. And then, then my second aha was like, well, what if I don't make it to 65? Because both of my parents passed away of cancer uh, by the time I was 16 and they were both in their fifties. 
So then it was kind of my aha moment of, well, there's got to be more to life than just, you know, working for a paycheck and working for 40 years to wait for a retirement age that isn't guaranteed for any of us. And that's when I kind of decided, well, you know, there's got to be another way. And so I just started diving into podcasts, uh, reread Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and kind of started my education there, if you will. So mostly self-educated. Yeah, pretty much all self-educated, but I've connected with a lot of investors and mentors over the years too. So, Awesome. That's great. So you talked, your realtor sends you the deal. She's like, oh, sorry, man. It's not a, a single family home. It's a <laughs> quad. What do you, what do you do? So what happened after? Well, uh, so I looked at it and, you know, we had driven by it. It's like, wow, gosh, it's a really nice property. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's check it out. And okay, really nice. The kind of a double-edged sword. So the property was actually vacant when we were looking at it. It was a uh, an elderly couple had built it. They lived in one unit, rented out the other three. Um, I think if I remember right. The husband had passed away a few years ago, and the wife or the wife had just moved into like an assisted living or nursing home. And none of the kids were close by and they didn't want to deal with it. So as the leases came up, they just let them term and moved out. So, okay, right away, it was like, well, it's vacant. There's no income coming in. So we brought our property management company in. They're like, yeah, we've definitely managed this. You would have no problem filling this up. Here's our estimate for rents and hit the 1% rule right away. So it definitely checked off all the boxes. So it's like, all right, this makes sense and looks like it would cash flow and we got the blessing from our property management company. Then it was just a matter of, okay, now we need to find a 25% down payment for a $300,000 property. <laughs> okay. So then what, what's next? How did you guys? Uh, well, from there, so uh, uh, we had talked to a couple banks in town. Um, usually the local lenders will kind of offer the most flexibility. So we worked with the local lender. Um, since the property wasn't cash flowing, they were willing to go off of the, you know, prorated rents or estimates, if you will, that the property management company had. And, you know, they had looked at our assets. It's like, okay, you know, they're, uh, the couple double income, no kids, uh, dinks as sometimes <laughs> we're called, uh, that, you know, have good steady jobs and a lot in savings, good retirement accounts, owned a house, et cetera. And, in the conversations and I was just talking to our financial advisor because I was trying to figure out how to come up with the down payment. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, just, you know, throwing this out, you've had this Roth IRA since you've been 19, you can take your contributions out, uh, not your earnings, but what you've contributed over the years. Um, and that time it was, uh, 13 years, 13, 14 years, I had uh, contributed to a Roth IRA. So he ran the numbers. It's like, yeah, here's your contributions. You can pull it out. And that was about 90% of our down payment right there. And then the rest just came from uh, savings. And, you know, it worked out real well since the Roth IRA, you don't get a tax break up front. You pay taxes on the money and then put in a Roth IRA. There aren't any penalties or tax hits when you take it out it's kind of like a kind of like a savings plan if you want to look at it that way oh, wow that's awesome so but you have to be careful i mean if you you know using round numbers if you've contributed ten thousand dollars and it's grown to fifteen thousand dollars if you take out the fifteen thousand dollars 
that 5,000 of earnings, you will get hit with a 10% penalty then. <laughs> but it's just oh. your contributions um, that you can take out tax-free. So usually if you're wanting to go that route, whoever your custodian is, usually they can pull out your records like, yep, you opened this in you know, 2012, you've contributed X number of dollars since then, here's how much you have earned, this is how much you can take out tax-free basically. Oh, wow, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know it. And it's like, well, here I thought you were just supposed to leave that money to retirement. And it's like, well, I've ran the numbers. And while my retirement account's done well, um, cash on cash return on the fourplex is going to be even better. So let's, you know, I mean, in a way, I looked at it not so much of taking money out of an investing account. It was more of diverting money from one investment to another. Yeah, like cross-collateralization. Uh, yeah, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> um, okay, so then you purchased a property, and did you and your wife live in it, or you it was purely investment? Uh, nope, this was uh, purely investment, and since it was vacant, we decided to. I mean, it did need some, you know, painting and some new flooring. Uh, the one downside is the owner occupant. Uh, smoked very heavily let's put it that way so one unit need a little bit more cleaning than the other um but as uh you know scott was true to his word our uh property manager uh as soon as we closed on it they had a lead for us like yeah we have a couple that wants to move asap so we went to the one unit that needed pretty much just cleaning it had you know pretty new paint pretty new carpet and everything and i think we closed like august I want to say, and by August 12th, the first tenants were in unit three. <laughs> wow. Yeah, then I think it was in order. I think we went unit three, unit one, unit four, and then unit two was the last one that needed the most amount of work. That was the one that the smoker lived in. So lots and lots of cleaning, new carpet, new paint, everything. <laughs> Wow. I, I just still can't get over the fact that the people you bought the home from, like they built it themselves. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm sure they hired a contractor, but yeah, that was their, that was essentially their retirement plan. They built it and then they lived in one unit. They ran out the other three and their, the income from the other three basically paid the mortgage. So they were living rent free essentially. So. Wow. Yeah. So they were house hacking before they even knew mm -hmm. that house hacking was a term. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, wow. Okay. So do you still own this investment property today? Yep. Still own that and been uh, fully tended. We actually haven't had any move in or move outs at all for, uh, 2021. I think our last, uh, turnover was March of February, March of 2020, if I remember correctly. And, um, had the typical rent increases for every time the property taxes go up, but it's been running pretty good. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so then has Minnesota been, you know, because then you mentioned you have properties kind of all over, scattered all over the place. So like what what happened there? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, the fourplex was our first property back in 2016. Um, it was two years uh, before we bought our next one. That was actually a duplex uh, in Wilmer, Minnesota, about 90 about 90 miles north of Marshall, give or take. And that actually came a lead, a lead from our property management company. They had gotten a call from a, a current landlord that was asking for a tenant reference. And 
through their conversation, they just said, oh, do you uh, buy rental properties as well? And they were like, well, no, but I think we might know someone that would be interested. So they gave me a call. And so it was an off-market listing, you know, never was on the MLS. Uh, that's actually been our cash cow of all our listings. Uh, it's a duplex, but we also rent out the garages for storage. And then as an on-site coin op for uh, washer and dryer. So it kind of has essentially four income streams, even though it's a duplex. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's great. Your property manager is looking out for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, if there's one advice I can give. It's like, I think the property management is almost more important than a, than the property itself or even the market. I mean, you could have the, you know, class a best property in the world, but if you have a crappy property management company or property manager, your returns can just go down the toilet. So, how how did you know that you didn't want to manage yourself or why did you make that decision? <laughs> uh, that was actually the caveat for my wife when I first pitched this. It's like, hey, what if we looked into real estate investing? And years ago, her grandfather, I if I remember right, I think he inherited it from his dad. But up in the Twin Cities, um, I know it was like a small apartment complex. I don't remember the details, but he kind of inherited a property and when he was growing up then he was tasked with hey run over collect the rents uh check on this unit you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and then when he inherited it then uh her dad was the guinea pig or golfer so to speak of run over there gets uh get the rent check etc so she was like i'm all on board but we're not managing the properties we are you know having this outsourced and we're having a property manager and I looked at a way too is uh, having a property manager kind of allows you to scale up more where if you're doing everything yourself, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much you can do as an individual. But if you have more uh, team members, you can definitely scale uh, farther and faster. Yeah, no, for sure. I That is a great point. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that and just assume that, oh, if I self-manage that uh -huh. um, this will be totally fine. And um, but then you're dealing with a headache and yeah. when you decide, oh, I don't want this headache anymore and you don't account for it financially, it can right. wreck your numbers. Exactly. Um, cool. So that's great. So your wife in a way, like she <laughs> set you up for success. Yeah, she was, uh, yeah, she was on board. That was her basic caveat with it. Um, yeah. So then 2018 was the duplex, uh, 2019, we ended up going our first out of state with a condo in Arizona, uh, partially as a second home because we, um, or my wife has family down there. So we typically visit two to three times a year. So we're thinking, well, you know, let's, instead of always getting a hotel room, let's have a place to stay when we're down there and rent it out when we're not um, using it. And that's actually been our, probably our, biggest appreciating asset as the Arizona market has just skyrocketed over the last uh, two going on three years and then kind of went into the turnkey route uh, late 2019 with uh, Spartan Invest in Birmingham uh, then went to Memphis Tennessee this was May of 2020 with Mid-South Homebuyers and then the last deal purchased uh, about two months ago was an off-market duplex in Davenport Iowa wow and so which one out of all those markets has been your favorite to invest in? Uh, 
Overall, I would say my favorite still is the Birmingham just because it's kind of a nice blend of still getting appreciation on our properties, but yet still a healthy cash flow. Whereas, um, you know, some markets like Dallas Fort Worth and some of the really fast growing ones, um, even Arizona to a point, don't really cash flow much, but are kind of all appreciation, which, you know, appreciation is nice, but at the end of the day, the incoming appreciation doesn't pay your monthly bills. Right. That is true. Um, but have you thought about tapping into the equity of the appreciated properties? Uh, yeah, we've actually been looking at here for 2022, uh, refinancing our two in Birmingham into a portfolio loan. Uh, one would open up two more slots for Freddie Fannie, uh, Freddie Fannie loans, uh, which are allowed up to 10, uh, properties at least at the time of this recording that's what the current guidelines are um and then doing a cash out refinance and using the equity as a down payment for another property ideally i'm hoping huntsville i'm hoping we haven't missed the boat on that but that's the game plan um looking to see if i can do a second line heloc um on our condo to pull out some equity there since that's appreciated so much and then probably the overarching plan is do a large portfolio loan probably in two years with the 30-year amortization on our fourplex and two duplexes. Uh, kind of ran the numbers, see if we can pull out about, you know, 100, 120,000 use as a down payment on a new build fourplex in central, uh, central Florida area. So can you explain to the listeners to 402 what exactly is a portfolio loan? Sure. So, uh and I might take a step back here. In the lending world, if you will, there's the, we're going to say conventional loans and non-conventional, or sometime you might hear non-QM, uh, non-qualifying portfolio. Um, basically, these are loans that fall outside the Freddie Fannie Mae uh, guidelines. So your conventional loan, you're typically your 30-year fixed, 30-year uh, amortization, uh, subsidized low interest rate, and essentially guaranteed or backstopped by the government if the buyer should default or something happens. On the commercial side, there's a little bit more flexibility for the individual banks, but then they're able to uh, kind of have more ammunition that you can use for your lending. So a portfolio loan that a lot of investors get, you know, say they have eight single family home properties. Well, like I mentioned before, Freddie and Fannie, they cap you at 10 per person that you can get for a qualifying or conventional loan with the low interest rates. A portfolio loan would then allow you to bundle all those properties into one payment. And they may be, you know, mix of properties, maybe a mix of locations, but then you have one loan covers all the property uh, properties and one fixed payment typically the interest rate might be a little higher and there might be a balloon payment, but it does offer you more flexibility to, you know, simplify your finances and then have one payment versus eight or whatever the number may be. Wow. That's great. I had no idea. And I really like that you shared that because that's just, it, it's so annoying to have to make payments <laughs> to different places. Yep. And the fact that banks will actually give you that option to just consolidate everything it's good to know. Yeah, not not all of them. Like the, I would say the 
I don't know, like the big banks, you know, your Wells Fargo, your JP Morgan Chase's, uh, U.S. banks, those entities typically just kind of do the plain vanilla type loans. Uh, your better bets are the regional banks or if you can, even like a, you know, local bank uh, may be able to uh, work best. Um, in fact, a funny story with the last acquisition, um, we uh, we had refinanced our duplex and fourplex with a, uh, a bank out of Wyndham, Minnesota. But with the appraisal, we still had about 30, I want to say 38, $39,000 of equity. Then we came up with the duplex that was off market. Cash flowed nice. I presented to the bank president and said, here's my idea. What if we can do a first lien position, you know, shorter amortization. So we did a 10-year loan off the equity of our existing properties as the down payment. That was essentially our 25% down payment. And then the remaining 75% was a new, uh, you know, commercial uh, portfolio, you know, business loan, whatever you want to call it. That was a 20 year amortization for the remaining 75%. So essentially the deal was about 100% finance. We just had to pay for the appraisal and, you know, associated closing costs. What? How, where did you even come up with these ideas to do these things? I, I read a lot. I network with a lot of people and a lot of times I might have an idea and sometimes I just pitch it to numerous banks until I hear a yes or pitch it to people. It's like, Hey, have you done this before? And we had worked with this particular bank for two years. He saw the numbers, he saw our tax returns and, you know, they looked at it as it was a, you know, made sense for them on a risk profile per se. And yeah, we, you know, have a little bit higher in interest rate, but, you know, all worked out well and basically had a, you know, 100% finance deal. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you are manifesting your best life with these yeah. options here. Trying to. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is really awesome. Um, cool. Uh, so do you have any big plans? Uh, for the 20, 2022 year and with this community that you're educating me on, but the Get Rich Education community. So yeah, the uh, the Get Rich Education uh, community, I'll just kind of do a shout out uh, to uh, Keith Weinhold, his podcast, uh, Get Rich Education. I would definitely say his was the, probably in the top five resources that helped me in my journey. Uh, Keith is obviously a lot farther ahead than I am, but uh, he's purchased a lot of buy and hold properties, you know, throughout the country, really has a wealth of knowledge on his website for, you know, finding your first deal, working with a, you know, turnkey provider to buy a property out of state. Um, like I said, that's where I got a lot of my education when I started off. Um, likewise, I started my own website, wealthandfreedomnexus.com uh, with a lot of resources, not just on real estate investing, but also uh, tax liens, notes, other investment vehicles and other resources I found helpful from books and podcasts. And speaking of podcasts, I also decided, uh, what the hell, I'll start a podcast here in November. And as of tomorrow, episode number 11th will be uh, published. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. And Thanks. 402, I have to say, John's website really was so 
overwhelmingly amazing with information <laughs> and resources that I had to reach out to. I was like, hey, can we set up a call? <laughs> and literally a week ago, we were on a call and I was like, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? And here he is today. Yep. <laughs> so I'm so grateful um, for you spending the time and coming out to hang out with me for a little bit um, to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And I have to say, like, I've got notes here. I've got notes in my other notebook. <laughs> Every time I talk to this man, I'm learning something new. Yeah, like I always joke around of um, occupying my time of I don't hunt, I don't fish, I could care less about sports, and I think golf is the second most pointless game in the world, so I need something to occupy my time. So it's <laughs> reading, investing, and uh, you know, absorbing knowledge, I guess, when it comes to investing and making money. Yeah, no, that's great, because then you share wonderful information with people like me. Yep. <laughs> um, so... Thank you so much, John, for coming out. Um, we have a freebie or a thing that, you know, we'll be posting out when this episode releases that I will let the listeners know about. But let's just say it has something to do with Rich Dad, Poor Dad and <laughs> potentially, potentially, potentially yeah, potential. <laughs> um, a uh, wealth and freedom nexus charging cable. Yep. So that's all, folks. Thank you for listening or watching The First Deal Show. I'm excited for you to buy your first investment property. If this show has helped you in any way, I ask that you share it with someone 